Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Every community's got its colourful stories and its memorable characters. But how do you take a great local story and get it in front of the widest possible audience? That's the challenge that Multi-Story from the BBC tries to tackle as it draws on England's network of 40 local radio stations. Each episode's made up of a few different stories hanging together around a theme like parenting or animals. I'll speak to Becca Bryars, who produces and presents the show in just a moment, but first I want to play you some of it. And this is from an episode called Searching, and it features a New Zealander based in London doing a very important job. We've had uh, 50-inch plasma TVs. An old Singer sewing machine. Weighs a ton. Half roll of carpet. Our ornamental fox wearing a crown. A stuffed penguin-type toy. Power tools. Sleeping bags. Tripods. Shopping trolleys. A large box of Pampers. Other brands are available. It's kind of like the generation game for London. It's just like a conveyor belt of random stuff that comes through and, and finds its way here. Paul Cohen is the manager of the Transport for London Lost Property Office. Anything found by staff or handed in on a train, tube or bus service operated by TfL ends up here, where it's recorded, labelled and stored, just waiting to be reunited with its owner. That's in the best-case scenario anyway. With over 1,000 new items arriving in the office every day, they like to keep the system as simple as possible. As BBC Radio London's Rob Oxley discovered when he went along for a tour. So we're here next to Baker Street Station in the basement here of the buildings and mm. we've got these just sort of floor-to-ceiling shelving racks and this is three months' worth of stuff around. Three months' worth. So what we have is, is here are some clothing items which have been found in the last few days. So every day we'll put on board onto these shelves anywhere between sort of 100 to 200 new items of clothing and yet just two bays along we have clothing which has been here for three months. So what we'll do is we'll be ready to take these off the shelves. So this little space continues to move around as new property gets put on and property which has been here and is unclaimed after three months gets taken off. I see, and we can actually see the, the difference here because on uh, this shelving unit on my left, we've got sun hats, some lighter jackets, whereas here, We've got winter coats. The weather, especially this year, has, has changed and been such a difference between the winter when we had quite a large snow and the summertime. We were enjoying one of the, the, the nicest periods of, of sunny weather I can certainly remember. When it's raining, obviously the umbrellas coming through. We're down to about the smallest number of umbrellas in stock that I can recall for 10 odd years. And it's not just clothes and umbrellas that get left on London's public transport system. So we've moved from the bags and the clothing and uh, buggies to what looks it, well, it looks more like a sort of a sorting office at the post office. We've got loads of uh, items in envelopes. What, what, what's in this, uh, these aisles? It's a very uh, practical solution. Um, when we get small items such as cards or books or keys or glasses or uh, purses or wallets, in order for us to be able to store them so that we can keep them safe and retrieve them, they're all put into their own individual envelope 
uh, which is then stamped and kept in order. Some people think that a lost property office is a large box where you just rumble through and, and see what's inside there. That might work if you've got a dozen items, not when you've got 70,000 items. We go from lots of different books to what looks like tablets and things. Yep, I mean, we're in a secure store, so we keep everything together. Um, our electronics will go together, cameras, laptops, mobile phones. It's fascinating when, when a new piece of electronic equipment comes out, how quickly it takes until it comes in. So if a new phone comes out, generally it's in the first two or three days that, that we'll get one in here. So someone's spent all their hard-earned cash, gone out and bought it, shown it off to their mates and promptly left it on the tube. <laughs> do you ever get, probably less of an is, a deal this, these days with the, how long batteries last, but do you ever get phones ringing still once they're handed in? You know, if I'm doing a very early shift, the alarms will go off. And it's like the dawn chorus until they, they run flat. I noticed you said about the changing technology. There's a case over there with palm pilots on it, which I'm guessing is, is empty or, or has uh, something else in it. No, people hold on and carry everything. Uh, just the other day, I got a 56K modem brand new, unopened in its box. I love that. Last year, I had a copy of Microsoft Word on 63 three-and-a-half-inch floppy disks. And I thought, how fantastic that these things are still out there circulating. Who's to say why people have something and they've got every right to lose that as, as much as a brand-new iPhone? This is one of the best days of my life. <laughs> yeah, she's so happy. She was so exciting to come here. <laughs> yeah. Paul Cohen says staff sometimes have to go the extra mile to find an item's rightful owner. We're actually obliged by law to contact the owner if we find a name and address inside the property. And for around one in eight items, we're able to do that. So there's a, an email address or an address we can contact the person immediately. It depends on the value of the item, to be fair, and, and you know the context of it. We have had things which are genuinely urgent and... You know, these days you can just go online, start to play detective. I mean, we're at 200 Baker Street, which is just up the road from 221B Baker Street, the home of the legendary Sherlock Holmes. Our computer system is, is named Sherlock, so it's very much, you know, where can we play uh, detective? Are there ever some items where the, the three-month limit's approaching and you think, no, no, we need to hold on to this just a little bit longer, this, this is something special that perhaps yep. needs to be reclaimed? Yep, absolutely. And uh, uh, cameras are one of those things. I recall one which had um, some wedding photos, so it was, it was on the honeymoon. That has sort of a personal attachment. You think, if you've lost your honeymoon photos, that's, that's a big deal in anybody's life. In this particular case, it was a happy ending. It was after a lot of detective work and cross-checking different social media accounts and, and looking at friends lists on Facebook versus Twitter posts and looking at where people have been on holidays and trying to sort of piece together this puzzle and we're able to contact this chap who was in San Francisco and just say look uh, we believe you found your camera and he was completely gobsmacked we can't do it for everything but for those things which have an obvious importance it, it's right for us to do so where, where we can How did you end up here in charge of uh, lost property? How did you get into lost property? Well, a little bit of karma involved in that. One very early morning after a 24-hour flight from back in New Zealand, I was on my way home uh, along the Piccadilly line 
and you have those moments of realization where you're not actually thinking about something and it just pops in your head and says i've lost my laptop out of nothing and i thought that's it it's gone but i did inquire with the lost property office which happened to be at the airport and got it back and i thought that's fantastic the feeling for me was great fast forward a couple of years and i've been working at transport for london and i visited the lost property office and it really took my fancy and when the opportunity came up to apply for a position, I did so with great enthusiasm and uh, for my sins of, of, of being here for the last sort of eight, nine years. It's a fascinating place. It's hard work. It's repetitive. We're dealing with a lot of items that will never be reclaimed. So, you know, there is this feeling, is this wasted effort? And yet, in order for the property to be reclaimed, for those who do want to get it back, we have to sort through everything. And everything has a story attached to it. It's not just an item. It's the story of, you know, what did it mean to the person? What did the loss mean to them? Some people take loss really significantly. And it's also about sharing the just the joy when people get their property back. You can be very philosophical working here, and I think it, it helps to, to think of the stories and, and sometimes to make up the stories. It's, I think it's a reflection that transport is at its heart about people. It's not about trains and buses, it's about moving people. Some of episode five of Multi Story called Searching, and Becca Briars, who puts the show together, told me how she does it. BBC Local Radio, we have 39 to 41 stations, depending on who you ask. So I'm going to go with 40 in the middle. But we've got 40 stations spread out across England, largely placed in cities. And, you know, they're there to represent... The local communities and they have news and they have stories and often they don't go any further than the area that the radio station transmits to but my theory was that you know just because something happens in the very north of England it doesn't mean that people in the very south aren't interested in that if it's a really great compelling personal story so that was kind of the basis for it to bring out some of the best of these stories that are being told all around the country and put them into a podcast in one place. And I was also really keen not to make it just kind of a standard thrown together highlights kind of package deal. Um, You know, I wanted to add a little bit of myself and a little bit of music in there and a just have a little bit of fun with it really so it kind of fitted the podcasty sound that I guess maybe we're a bit more used to hearing from America you know this American lifestyle I will admit that I've borrowed heavily from that kind of school of podcasting because you what you do every episode you have a kind of theme don't you and these different stories all revolve around a certain theme whether that's family or, or whatever it is yeah, I tend to try and look for themes, not super, super obvious ones, I hope. Uh, I mean, some of them have been because I've done ones like animals, which is obviously just about animals. But I've tried to make them a little bit surprising and each one in each episode a little bit different. And it's key for me as well to get a good reflection of the country because, you know, for such a small island, there's a real diversity of voices and experiences um, and I wanted to reflect that across the series really. So if you've got these 40 local stations all over the country broadcasting you know more local localized stories are you listening to all of those how do you find the stories (laughs) you you can't be listening to all of it can you? My whole working life and weekends would be taken up by list I don't think it's possible actually because of course they're all broadcasting 24 hours a day so yeah Finding the stories is is interesting. I like to say that there's a really great system I've worked out, but it's been a lot of luck. I've 
been in the lucky position to travel to all of the local radio stations because I used to be a trainer. So I train people how to use technology for broadcasting. So I kind of have built up a few contacts there and met some like-minded producers. So they were my first point um, of contact. What I've said to people is I want the stories that you can't forget about. You know, the stories that you go home at the end of the day and you share with your mates in the pub the people that you've interviewed that you think six months later, you know, I wonder how they're getting on. They're the kind of stories that I was looking for for people. So that's kind of how I approached it first. And those producers mentioned it to other producers. I also did a lot of snooping in folders, like audio folders, um, to see what people were saving up for award season. I probably shouldn't admit to that. And yeah, it's some of it's been super, super random. And at times I've just literally... I don't know, I've got a topic in mind. I've got two really strong stories for it. And I've just gone through the local radio archives looking for key words like dog, cat, horse. <laughs> so I don't know if I should admit to this because I should be seen as we're the BBC and we're a very professional operation. But it, it has been quite DIY at times. But, you know, it's been great in a way because sometimes I've found real gems. You really but, have. Uh, and you... God, I think it's 11 episodes, isn't it, in the first series? And each one features, you know, anywhere from, what, three, four, five stories. Have you got any favourite ones that you just keep thinking about? Farmer Wink in the first episode. They didn't like me at school. Didn't like the way I talked. I can remember one of them gave me the stick one day. We had to read two or three lines out of this book. Anyway, my line, I also remember, my line was... The horse was eating glass in the glass field. He's almost part of the inspiration for this because when I was doing a previous job um, a couple of years ago, William Wright, he he's a presenter at Radio Lincolnshire and he mentioned in passing this incredible farmer he spoke to um, who'd never really left the farm that he grew up on and he'd never been on a train before until William took him on a train at the age of, I think he was in his late 60s. And you know, I said, oh, can please send it to me. I really want to listen. The, the farm where you live now, that's that's not where you were born, is it? No, no, not far away, though. People won't believe me, like, when I tell them. Until I was five years old, the only water that we had to drink was out of pit in the corner of a glass glass, and the cows used to drink out on it. And Mum used to fetch it in two buckets and strain it through a muslin cloth. And that's the only water we had to drink till I was five years old. He's just great because he's one of those people that you wouldn't necessarily meet. I mean, you wouldn't bump into him in the street because he rarely leaves his farm. But he's still got something to say about life. And, you know, also the novelty really is his his accent, which is very, very strong. And he uses words that I'm not even sure what they are, but you kind of get the gist of what he's saying. So he's definitely a favourite. But while we've got some time travelling, where did the name Wink come from? I've always been called Wink, even since I was a little old boy. When I lived on the farm, there was a chap there, his name was Wink, called him Winky Stark. And I always used to go with him in his tractor when I was about two years old. It stuck from that lot. He was called Wink, so I, I was called Wink after that, and I've always been called Wink. You ask anybody about Wink, but you ask anybody about my proper name, they'll not know who you're talking about. But not many people know my proper name. Nobody calls you Robert. No. Oh, it's almost like you flinch when I say that word. <laughs> and that partly is down to the skill of William's interviewing too, because he's never patronising. And I think, I think in that situation, somebody could be a bit patronising and think, oh, well, this guy's just, what does he know of the world? 
And as well as Farmer Wink, Becca, are there any other stories that really kind of stick in the memory? I guess one that's not so much of a, a story. Well, it is a story because it's a different way of storytelling is one of the poems that I use. So in terms of setting up a theme, I actually used the poem's title for it. And it was um, a poem called Fam uh, by a London poet. In fact, two years ago, he was London's young poet laureate, Caleb Femi. And he he wrote a poem based on the slang word fam. I don't know. Is that a word that's used in New Zealand? It's not used in New Zealand, but I'm familiar with it from watching shows like Top Boy and that kind of thing. So it's kind of a, a street term for friends, associates, not just your immediate family, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So people say fam, fam, and it's kind of like, yeah, I've got your back, we're friends. When we say fam, we don't mean what we have in common with blood. We mean you are the mirror that shows forth my better side. We mean you are the brother I chose and a sister I keep. We mean you and I have matching scars, so let's swap stories. What I love about it is it really just set up that episode, which then led on to the fact that family isn't just blood basically and it can be anyone who supports you so actually it led to a real diversity and an exploration of what those stories were in a really simple setup of two minutes we mean a call and response in casting protection spells we mean teasing out miracles from concrete we mean a smoke signal when you are lost inside your own ribcage we mean the biggest inside joke on the ends we mean we have to laugh crying doesn't stop it from happening we mean don't ask how we're cousins we mean god Command the ground to spew back up the body. We mean famine against Babylon. We mean fam. Fam. And, you know, it's a good reflection of what else local radio does because that was part of a project we did across the whole country where local poets, poets that are linked to a certain area, were asked to write a poem inspired by a local dialect word. So, for example... Where I live in Leicester, the word was Mardi, which means kind of moody and grumpy. Um, and we had a poet writer here. So it's just it's kind of another way of, you know, taking something local and giving it to the world. Becca Bryars, the producer and presenter of Multi Story from BBC Local Radio. And series two of the show starts in March. You're listening to the podcast hour on RNZ National. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.